Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. Thank you for joining us on another Thursday. This week, we're still feeling the hangover effect from UFC 286. The welterweight division has been turned upside down with a contender that came out of nowhere since we last spoke on the show. We have a massive bantamweight main event coming up in a little over 48 hours. A lot to talk about as we have some inter-website infighting on the program this week. So let us introduce the contestants. First, he's Mr. No Gray Area, the Exhibition King, the Hot Take King. He's from No Bets Bar. Dan, they were good here on MMAfighting.com. He is Mr. Jed Mishu, fresh off his victory last week. Hello, Jed. How are you? I'm doing great. This music reminded me that Price is Right is coming to Atlanta pretty soon. And I got to tell you, your boy is going to be there. I'm going to figure out a way to get up there on Contestants Row, and then we can have a new name for me, Price is Right Champion Jed Mishu. Mr. Showcase Showdown? Oh, I've been preparing my whole life for the Showcase Showdown. Is this like the real show? Like Drew Carey's going to be there? Or is this one of the traveling road told, shows that they do? I've been told it's the real show. I can I can neither confirm nor deny it. But somebody told me that this week. It was like, Price Strides coming. I was like, well, I got to figure out how to be a part of this. So oh, be on man. the lookout, guys. 11 a.m. just for the next <laughs> six months. Just keep watching Price is Right on, I want to say CBS. Not even entirely sure that's the channel. But keep your eyes peeled because I'm coming one day. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> Phenomenal drop. Oh, man. And back on the show, the OG himself from Fighter vs. Writer with the great Matt Brown, also from MMAfighting.com, Mr. Damon Martin. Hello, sir. Welcome back to the program, my man. I'm I'm ready to talk MMA, but now I'm, like, really excited to talk about Price is Right because I actually know a guy who got on Price is Right. I used to work with him, and he won surprises and then got wiped out in the taxes he had to pay on the prizes so good luck with that jed 
Ooh, did I honestly, I would have assumed that they don't even give you prizes. They just give you like a dollar amount equal to the value of the prizes because it seems much simpler than being like, here's your jet ski, figure out how to get it back to your home or whatever. Always pass on the first showcase. Always pass. Never, never. You might get a cool trip if and maybe a, like an outdoor hot tub. If there's a, din- the if there's a dinette set, no, I'm not involved <laughs> in the dinette set at all. Even though as I'm like older and I recognize like actually that I could use that, that would be like a functional item. After that, I want some type of trashy ass cruise to Greece. Let's do it. Oh, man. Well, the actual retail price for UFC 286 was seventy four ninety nine plus taxes, and it ended. Ooh, I paid. I paid seventy nine ninety nine. Mike, did I get ripped oh, off? Oh man, seventy nine ninety nine. See, I was doing the watch party, so I didn't even know. But yeah. uh, for those who spent seventy nine ninety nine plus tax, you watch Leon Edwards defeat Kamar Usman via majority decision in the main event. He wins the trilogy, wins the rivalry, retains the welterweight championship, and. A lot has come out of this, and we will save the aftermath of what is next for Leon Edwards, at least for right now, for round two. But, Damon, I want to start with you because Leon Edwards, as we've talked about many times, he is a guy that has had to scratch and claw his way to a title fight, leaped over every hurdle put in front of him, wins the title with this iconic comeback knockout, this memory we will never forget in the sport and that led to so many questions coming into this fight and leon answered a lot of those questions and officially put kamara usman behind him for good so what was your biggest takeaway from the fight and leon's first successful title defense in the big win honestly what impressed me most about well, two things in particular with leon impressed me with this fight one was his confidence you know because i think even though he won the last one you know the headshot dead we all know about that it was a very iconic moment but he was losing that fight and 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 he was down three and a half rounds by the point he got the knockout so i think getting that knockout instilled him with a lot of confidence because he fought kamara with a lot more confidence this time he fought you know in belief in himself that he could win um that he could go out there and beat kamara usman again and and do it without you know the late theatrics that he did in the first in the second fight and then also, I think, obviously, everyone's going to talk about it, but the takedown defense. I mean, that was just a huge difference in this fight. He shucked off Usman so many times, and even when Usman did get him down momentarily, he got right back to his feet. And I will say, I had a conversation with Gilbert Burns last night, and we were talking about the fight, and he was saying that, you know, something looked a little off with Usman in his takedowns. He wasn't really committing to his takedowns. He wasn't driving through his takedowns, and I think there is maybe a legitimate question about that, maybe in terms of like his knees or, or, or was he just, you know, worried about the, the head kick. So he was, or worried about the kick. So he was being wary of diving for the legs kind of thing. I don't know, but the takedown defense was on point and it was far different than the second fight where he got taken down at will, especially in the second, third and fourth rounds. So it was just a, a stark contrast. Now, ultimately it still came down to a very close fight though. I actually scored a draw because of the point deduction uh, for the fence grab. So I had a 47-47. So all these ra- things I'm raving about Leon Edwards, it wasn't like it was a blowout. Kamar Usman was right there and easily could have won the fight with one more round. So it was still a very good fight, very close fight. But that's really what I took away from Leon Edwards. Jed, what say you? Biggest takeaway from Leon's big win? Oh, that's a good question, right? I think there are a lot of ways you can go with this. I think the biggest one and it's not by large margin over many of the others. So I think that Leon might have had a point with what he was saying coming in. He was saying that the altitude really messed me up. Uh, it, it it was a huge factor. I don't think a ton of people gave him credence for it, in part because 
the the truth is if that if that is objectively all the way true if the altitude really made it hard on leon he has no one but himself to blame like they they are both competing in the same cage in the same area that's on him to have better prepared so if that was the cost of it then okay but i think a lot of people myself included kind of dismissed it as okay like i'm sure it didn't help but realistically you just kept getting backed up to the fence and he kept wrestling you and there you go. And then we look at this one and one of the most notable notable things like right out of the gate is how much movement Leon is showing. Leon, and whether that's because he felt he had more energy or it was purely that he recognized how bad last fight went for him, he was never stationary. He was circling constantly. It was a struggle for Usman to get him backed up to the fence and – you know, his coaches told him that in the in the rematch said, hey, you stop backing up. And he just kept backing up. And so to see the difference in that here, it, it felt a little bit like it was OK. Maybe he really wasn't prepared for the altitude and the, you know, fatigue makes cowards of us all is the old saying. And it was easier for Usman to back him up in this fight. It was a lot harder. And I think some of that is from the movement. I'll also say some of it is maybe to Hori Masvidal's point. He said yesterday on Joe Rogan. Usman might have come back a little too soon. And I, I thought Leon was flashing the head kick early to give Usman the fear. And he he did not come in with the same level of confidence. It looked like to me that we've seen from Kamaru Usman. He looked like he got frustrated in there repeatedly with his inability to kind of get to the dominant positions he had had such success with in the rematch. He looked frustrated with his the real difficulty he had cornering Leon because he got there eventually, but it, it was work. And all the while he's getting kicked in the legs a bunch. He's eating snap kicks up front a bunch. And so I, I think a lot of this is the first fight, you know, we all said it wasn't a, or the second fight wasn't a fluke. The outcome like that was a, a prepared and a thing that happened. But I, I think most people, myself included thought that's not a high outcome fight. Like the, if they fight that fight 10 times, the outcome is not Leon pulling that off most of them. But I think looking at this fight, the the true answer is Leon wins more often than he loses against Kamaru Usman based on the style, based on the skills he's bringing to the table, maybe based on where they're at athletically in their age range, their gaps right now. But this, the, there was no mistake. It, it maybe happened in an unconventional or unexpected way. But it wasn't. There's no mistake in Leon Edwards winning. He is the best welterweight in the planet right now. Let me let me if you mind if you throw this out there real quick, Jed. To your point, great point about the kicks. I wasn't thinking about this, but something else that Gilbert Burns said to give him credit for this is that uh, he said that you know Leon was targeting the kicks to the legs and to the body early in the fight to get in Camaro's head about the head kick, mm -hmm. and he's like, I wonder if that didn't play a huge part in Kamaru not wanting to commit to takedowns, not wanting to commit to his punches because he was fearing that head kick. And to your point, that's that's a great example of, you know, even like the knockout, like coming back too soon from the knockout, not so much like in terms of a concussion. I'm saying like in terms of the yeah. mentality of like being feared of hitting the head kick again. And he made a great, Gilbert made a great point saying like he, he was kicking to the body really hard, kicking to the legs. He's like, A, that that diminishes your cardio and your conditioning by hitting you to the body constantly. And, and two, probably even bigger is that it gets in his head that he's going to go up high again. And and we remember when John Jones made that big point about a tendency that Daniel Cormier had when he yep. tried to go, when he go, went for a certain combination, he would duck his head that left him open for a head kick. Then when they did the rematch, Jones hit him with that exact kick, like exactly got in his head. Daniel made the mistake and John made him pay for it. I think there was a little bit of that in this one. So much was made of the head kick. 
it got in Kamara's head. He had to stop the head kick and he forgot to stop other things. I fully agree. Cause just like, dude, like 80% of fighting is confidence. Like you have to have the requisite skills, but one of those dudes looked a lot more confident in the second and third round and what they were doing. And it wasn't Kamar Usman. And I think a lot of it was just, he ate a bunch of kicks he had now he it was his first fight. Like, I don't think we made a big enough deal about it. It was talked, it was mentioned, but like first time he's ever been knocked out. And he wasn't, this wasn't GSP tapping to strikes, getting knocked out, which still he went to a sports psychologist, said it totally messed with his head. This was cold, like woke up in a different universe than the one he was previously in. And I don't think we gave that as much credence as we should because it, to me, it looked like a different Kamaru Usman mentality-wise, confidence-wise, and the same respect. It looked like Leon Edwards was as confident as I've ever seen him. It was not, you know, I he was not trying to point fight. He was executing a game plan and a really good one. Jed, longtime listeners of this program and many others on the MMA Fighting Network know that you were the driver of the nobody cares about Leon Edwards train. You never, you never yeah. said he was a bad fighter or anything like that, but you always thought he was a fighter that could never be a star. He can never get over that hump, and it wasn't his his resume or his skills necessarily that kept him from title fights. It was the fact that you just felt that nobody cared wasn't really interesting. Do you feel differently now, Jed? Has has he shown you something over the last several months that has changed your mind? Yes and no. So there's a little bit. At some point, you just got to walk back a, a take as strong as that one. But the truth is I stand by a lot of what I said, particularly at the time I said it, because here's here's the deal, man. Um, there's a reason that it took him forever to get to a title fight, and it's not because the UFC was too worried that he would make the sport boring because he's so good. It was because he wasn't a compelling fighter. That doesn't mean he's a bad fighter. We see this all the time. John Fitch was an excellent fighter, incredibly uncompelling to watch in the cage. Leon Edwards, not the same kind of, we use, and that's the thing we usually associate that with like lay and pray guys. And that's not really Leon's game though. He, he can do it if he needs to, he just, isn't compelling here's the here's what i'll point to look at his current win streak which is great undeniable whatever it is 12 fights wherever we're unbeaten there are three finishes in it <laughs> one of them being the all-time head kick of kamar usman that's a highlight you can never take away and sometimes that's all it takes one big moment and that's about as big a moment as you can have but prior to that we're looking at he uh, submitted albert tumanoff I mean, okay, in 2016, that's fine. And then he finished Peter Sabata. And the rest of it is he's winning decisions, like not even compelling decisions over RDA or Gunnar Nelson or Nate Diaz, where the fight was really bad. Like that fight was mostly awful to watch. And the only compelling part was the last minute where it looked like Leon was getting getting boxed up. So I think that that's still here. The difference is... Part of being compelling and interesting is being in situations that are undeniably compelling and interesting, right? Like when you are fighting Peter Sabata, you're going to have to do something for people to care because Peter Sabata. It's a very different calculus if you're fighting Kamar Usman for the welterweight title. And the truth is if Usman had spent another minute and not gotten kicked in the head in the rematch, then this is done. Leon Edwards is never a champion People aren't having this, let's reevaluate his career and where we're at moment. 
Uh, Usman is moving on to whatever. Leon goes back to the bottom of the line. And we all think of him as, okay, he lost an awful fight, like a fight that was very not compelling or interesting. Instead, he pulls that out, and that starts to shape the narrative because he gave us, in my opinion, the greatest comeback and the greatest head kick knockout in the history of MMA. Like that, that means something. And now he got to headline an event in London where – Look, it's the sports nationalist in a lot of ways. Like you, I people were there for him because he's the champion, and England is going to rally around him. And so, to that extent, he gets to be a star. He's an English champion. That's going to give you pull and leverage in some ways. I still have a lot of questions on a, a lot of doubts. Not really questions. I strongly doubt that he is going to settle in in a major way with markets outside of England. But that doesn't really matter for him at this point. He's done the thing. He did the thing. He's got the belt. He's the champion. If they let him fight Jorge Masvidal, maybe he could build something up. But as we're going to talk about in just a minute here, that doesn't seem to be the case. So I, I, I'm not really sure he's ever going to resonate with the fan base at large. Damon, what do you think about that? And again, we'll talk about the aftermath of what Dana White said in round two. But do you feel like Leon has done enough to become... I guess, a guy that can carry this division for the foreseeable future. Do you think a lot of that narrative about him being not really interesting, boring, do you think that's changed since the the second Usman fight? To a certain extent. To a certain extent it has because we got to see the head kick and the second fight with, with Usman was actually a really, really good fight and he showed us a lot of skills and he showed us he could beat Kamar Usman without pulling off the late theatrics in the fifth round. But at the same time, you know, the championship brings a certain amount of star power and interest to everybody, but it doesn't put you over the top. You know, the guys or the girls who are superstars typically become superstars outside of being a champion. And then if you do become a, more of a star when you're a champion, it's because you built a certain resume that people are impressed by it. In Kamar Usman's case was a great example. He became the number one pound for pound fighter in the world. He had that huge knockout over Jorge Masvidal that kind of put him over the top, and he kind of became a bit of a mythical figure in that way because of a couple of great performances and also because he became the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the sport. And every single fighter underneath him, whether you're talking about flyweights, bantamweights, lightweights, heavyweights, whoever, they would inevitably have to mention him if they talked about pound-for-pound because that conversation constantly comes up, whether it's Volkanovski or whoever else it is. So you're constantly being mentioned as the best guy in the world. So I think that Leon has some time to to build that kind of cachet. But the problem is, is that, you know, when you're, when you go into a fight like this and you're already not a super well-known guy and you don't have a huge amount of fan support outside of maybe your home country. And even that is relatively new. I mean, we always forget he got booed in a fight against Gunnar Nelson in London. That was a few years ago. It wasn't like this was like a decade ago. He got booed in his own home country, <laughs> facing a guy who's not from England. Um, so we, we got to remember that, you know, Leon will have a certain amount of fan support just because he's the champion. And, and obviously now just because he's from England, but, um, I don't know that it's going to transcend to where he's going to become suddenly a pay-per-view draw or people are going to consider him must see TV. I think it's really going to come down to where they put him, meaning are they going to continue to book him in English, you know, cra- crazy, awesome fan reactions. Or are they going to book him in compelling fights that people actually care about? Which, you know, as we're going to talk about here soon, comes to the Colby Covington factor, which I would, I have a lot of thoughts on that one as well. But I think that, you know, the Masvidal fight probably would have been much bigger. But I think it's got to be those kind of things, those kind of rivalry fights that will draw, that will draw people to see him fight beyond 
just being Leon Edwards, the welterweight champion. Now, Damon, wh- where does Kamaru Usman go from here? Because it seems like his legacy is set in stone as the second best welterweight of all time. It's kind of hard to argue that at this point. He- he's talked in the past about not having a lot of time left in the sport. He obviously has a bright future outside of the cage, whether it be in the acting world in front of the camera or in front of the camera on a broadcast team for whether it's the UFC or some other combat sports organization. He's very good at that stuff. And it seems like after Saturday, he wants to reflect a little bit, but it seems like he, he wants to keep this train moving. So where does he go from Saturday? Do you think he fights again? And if so, what kinds of matchups make sense for him right now? So my heart of hearts, I thought if Kamar Usman lost on Saturday, he would retire. I just believe that not because I think he's done or that he's washed up or anything crazy like that. I just think when you reach a certain pinnacle in the sport and then you come down from that, a lot of guys and a lot of girls don't really want to try that climb again. You know, Kamar is 35, 36 now. Uh, he knows he's at the tail end of his career, whether he's at the end of his career or not is debatable, but he knows he's at the tail end of his career and he's already had his biggest rivalry fights with Masvidal and Colby, and he's vanquished both those guys twice. So there's not going to be a real, you know, a lot of interest in running either of those back for a third time. Um, a lot of people have mentioned middleweight, you know, with his wrestling immediately he jumps in there and he's right alongside, you know, probably Hamza Chemaev is like one of the best wrestlers at 185 pounds, but I still think the size difference would hurt him a little bit. He's not a massive guy uh, for middleweight. So I think that would be an interesting move if he decides to go there, but I think it really just comes down to, you know, matchups at this point. I think, you know, I know Bilal Muhammad mentioned, you know, if he doesn't get Colby, he doesn't get the title shot, Usman's a fight he would be interested in taking. I think that's a potentially interesting matchup out there for him. Um, I think there's other welterweights coming up. Like, you know, you could say Shavkat Rekmanov. Like, I think Shavkat against Usman actually makes more sense than Shavkat versus Bilal because if Shavkat beats Usman, then you do have a you know 100% number one contender. And if Usman can vanquish a real high-level prospect like Shavkat, he can answer a lot of questions and say, I'm not done. I'm still going to get back to the title. And I said this before. I like Leon Edwards very much. And I, 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 I'll be the first to admit I was probably right behind Jed in the uh, no one really cares about Leon Edwards thing. But I really like Leon. Here's the problem, though is that I don't know how long his reign is going to last just because of how volatile this division can be. And he could, he could lose to Colby Covington. He could lose to Bilal Muhammad. Uh, he could lose to Shavkat Rachmanov. So I don't know how long his reign's going to last where we're talking about matchmaking in the future of Usman Edwards four, but I do think Usman could get back in there, but I think the Shavkat fight would be the one I would make. Uh, or if he wants to test middleweight, you know, try it out. I mean, like I said, there's not a long path, to the title uh when you think about it i mean you know chamaya is already like one fight away from the title and he hasn't even fought there in, in like two and a half years jed what do you think does he fight again and if so is he fighting a middleweight does he stay a welterweight what makes sense i assume that if he fights again it's a middleweight i think i said that coming in uh i just don't see the appeal of fighting at welterweight if he wants to take one at welterweight given that colby covington appears to be next in line for the welterweight title fight because if colby beats leon then kamaru would seemingly have to fight uh colby for the for the belt if colby will accept that fight which i don't know that he would um because he would clearly be trying to fight conor mcgregor at that point um so maybe he wants to spin his wheels he takes a fight uh at, at welterweight and i mean he can win any of them um i think it depends where he thinks he's going I, it feels like shavkat is going to be fighting below muhammad that seems like that's the 
next avenue forward. At which point, uh, you could just just do Usman versus Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. They're two dudes who never fought. Um, you know, old heads in the division seems like the thing to do. It's fine, go with that. Uh, but I think the thing that makes more sense is to try and make another title run, and the easier it would at least appear avenue for that will be a middleweight. It's not as good of a division as welterweight. The champion right now ostensibly looks like somebody that Usman should at least have some stylistic matchups against. Obviously, if Izzy wins this rematch against Pereira coming up next two weeks or whatever from now, that changes the math. So I think that 287 will determine a lot. If, if Izzy wins, then I doubt Usman moves up for that. Uh, but if Izzy doesn't, I suspect we're going to see Usman moving on. I would like to just pivot this conversation entirely though because you said something mike and i think i said it before 286 um and i have since sort of reconsidered certainly after the loss to leon kamar usman's not the second best welterweight in the world or at least i don't think we should be at all confident that he's the second best welterweight of all time uh Matt Hughes, his resume is still holds up exceedingly well. And we all kind of bought into this narrative when they were trying to push that Kamar was better than GSP, which was insane and still is. But if you go back and look at Matt Hughes, I am in no way sure that Kamar Usman is the second greatest welterweight of all time. He's at worst the third. He's certainly no lower than three. But I would love to hear, because I believe previously Damon had stated that he thought Usman was better than GSP. And I want to know if he still holds to this belief post Leon Edwards. And I want to know how he feels about where Usman ranks historically relative to Matt Hughes. Because as I went back over it, uh, I frankly put Matt Hughes above Kamar Usman in the historical welterweight rankings right now. Well, I think, what do you think about that? I think I think skill for skill, I, I would, you know, Usman is why well, you know, sure. I think him being better. When I think of him being better than GSP, uh, in terms of second best welterweight of all time, I still think it's I still think it's Kamaru Usman. And I know here's what's going to happen with the whole Matt Hughes conversation is that, and I'm going to bring it up even though I'm not as adamant about this as some other people are. But obviously, I think the level of competition has raised a lot since Matt Hughes was on top of the world. You know, winning. You know, winning by you know his opponent falling off the top of the cage and then power bombing him on the on the canvas and waking up first. Uh, to become one, one of the funniest outcomes in, in MMA history. <laughs> um, Just an incredible Matt, way to win a belt. Yeah, Matt Hughes I has some impressive. <laughs> yeah, I won. Uh, Matt Hughes <laughs> has some impressive wins on his resume. He definitely does. But he was also again in that era. He had a lot of t- he had a lot of fights in there that he should not have had. Like there's fights on there's fights on Hughes's record where you're like, why was he fighting this guy? And, and Hughes has talked about this openly after he suffered his first loss, you know, uh, Pat Militich was his coach and he, he knowingly put him in there against tomato cans to build his confidence back up. Well, so yeah. Matt Hughes, fought a little different era. And, and when you look at his title defenses, does he have some good wins in there? Sure. But, and again, I, mean, I don't, I don't necessarily bang the drum as much as some people do about this, but I think in this current era of mixed martial arts, Matt Hughes would probably like, and again, I understand people evolve and get better, blah, blah, blah. But in this current era of welterweight, Matt Hughes would barely be top 10 in terms of like who he could compete with, with his skill level. He was very limited in his skill set uh, at welterweight. And I just think that when you look at, I mean, you know, he beat Hayato Moksakurai, great win, but how, you know, how much of a, how much of a, uh, of a win, how much of a legacy win is that really when you start breaking down how good both guys were at that time? So 
again, that's a pretty big legacy I, win. I think that uh, was the win that like made him like the top pound for pound fighter in the sport. At yeah, the time. but looking Mock back was, on it, was on it, fire. Does it still hold the same relevancy? I don't know. There's, I guarantee, there's, I guarantee you, there's a thousand people who are going to watch this right now and say, "Who is Hayato Mock Sakurai?" I guarantee oh, yeah. that. Dude, no, nobody <laughs> but, watching this has any idea who Mock is, but but uh, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not disrespecting Mock Sakurai. I'm saying Mock Sakurai was was again a good win, but I'm saying like comparatively to today's wins, I'm just not sure. And again, we all have revisionist history, right? Like because Kamaru Usman has now lost two in a row to Leon Edwards suddenly you know we're going to have this conversation he's not as good as we all thought he was once when we kind of forget the last fight you know the for the second fight between them ended after kamara was dominating for three and a half rounds and then got head kicked and this fight he lost in a majority decision that a lot of people myself included scored a draw so it's not like he got blown out of the water and he's suddenly looking like he's past his prime and he's a bum so i still put him number two hughes is probably three and it's not a disrespect to the hughes is three i just think that when you look at the entire body of work beyond just his title defenses, Hughes had a lot of bad losses as well later in his career. And I understand everyone likes to discount losses later in your career, but I'm sorry, if you keep fighting, it still counts. Uh, and he had, he, he did not end his career very well uh, going out of the UFC. So again, like I said, I don't think there's, I don't think it's a huge debate, but I still put Usman number two all time. Yeah. I think my, I mean, I understand the arguments. My, my thing is one Hughes's yes. All like his first, like 20 fights are mostly not relevant to the conversation outside of the fact that he was very busy, but like, I just forgot how many title defenses he had over two reigns, but like seven total title defenses, I think is the number. Uh, and against diff, this was always my big knock on Usman. Uh, I think he would have beaten a lot of dudes. In reality, we just saw him fight Jorge Masvidal and Colby Covington twice, and then Gilbert Burns was also in there. It was like, I think he would have beaten a lot of the other top welterweights, but the one time he fought some dude that wasn't Masvidal or Covington, he's now lost to him twice. So it's like, whereas Matt Hughes at least was fighting different dudes. Every, like Sean Shirk, that's, you know, well, you can quibble with it, but at the time it was a very quality win. Sakurai, very quality win. Tranquil Freak fights, great. One of it, he did it after after getting a blatant low blow, which was incredible. He gets the beat. He's beaten BJ and George St. Pierre. Like, I think Matt Hughes, we all sort of wrote off, which is the point here of my comment of like, and I did it myself. It was like, we all just sort of got rid of it because the narrative was the Zeusman better than GSP. So we sort of presumed that that made him at least the second best. I'm really, really not sure. I think historically Matt Hughes is a better welterweight. I'm sorry to derail your show, Mike. Well, you also got to mix in. You also got to, again, listen, you're right. I think the BJ Penn win stands very well. I think the George St. Pierre win, obviously very early in his career, stands very well. But looking at his record, I mean, again, you got Gil Castillo in there. No one remembers Gil Castillo. Joe Riggs. I know Joe Riggs is the man of the hour. That wasn't even a great win at the time. Gil Castillo was like a mid-win. Yeah, the guy guy who should be – fighting jake paul according to certain reporters joe riggs is out there um you know that's that but hoist i'm Gracie, sorry when i'm soyce sorry you're talking no about the fight master are you talking about <laughs> yeah. the fight master joe riggs yes uh you know hinato shrewd one, one Moon, of again, one <laughs> yeah i mean there's a, like i said there's a, again there's a few people on his resume like you look at the bj Penn win that that's a great win you look at you look at george st pierre even early in his career that's a great win but then he's littered with guys that you're kind of like who 
And I think, you know, when you look at Usman beating Gilbert Burns pretty definitively, you know, a guy who went out there and did that, which is a, a good win on his record, being the first person and the only person to ever knock out Jorge Masvidal. And again, Jorge Masvidal may not be the greatest, but he's still, a you know, a veteran uh, stalwart in, in both lightweight and welterweight to knock him out, become the first guy ever to knock him out means something. So again, we're quibbling over minor details, but that's why I still put Usman ahead of Hughes overall. Here's a question. I'm really just taking the show away from you, Mike, and I don't care. Uh, <laughs> I know because, why, but go ahead. Because Joe Rogan said a real dumb thing, shockingly, the other day about how Jorge Moscow <laughs> is better than George St. Pierre, um, which is just like objectively false in just about every possible way that that could be. Uh, if you took prime Matt Hughes against prime and or modern day Mosfidal, does Mosfidal win? Because I don't think he does. I think I would pick Matt Hughes to just tackle Mosfidal for five rounds or whatever. Is that a crazy I, thought? I, I don't think it's crazy, but I don't think it's one way traffic. I think it's a winnable fight for Masvidal because Matt Hughes it is winnable, was, certainly. Matt Matt Hughes was a really, really terrible striker. Really, really oh, yeah. bad. Uh, so if he can't get him down, he's getting lit up on the feet. So that's really what you're coming down to. Can he get him Matt down? Matt Hughes could knock out fucking hoist. <laughs> <laughs> he's 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 uh you know he's he was you know obviously slightly better than ben Askren in striking but it's not a far cry to say they were very similar in their striking skills um so yeah i think it really comes down to can he get him down before masvidal hits him with a flying knee or something yeah well interesting topic but i, I know i know where you try to hijack the show jed but we have i to don't want to do it <laughs> we have to talk about it let's move on to the story of the week Point for round number two goes to number round number one, excuse me. <laughs> Damon Martin for not hijacking the show. For, for not stealing the show. <laughs> you know, oh, fair. Man. Fair. Yes. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge? That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L 
V-A-N-29.com. Of course, the story of UFC 286 was about Leon Edwards in the aftermath for about 30 minutes because he gets the win and it seems like there were a lot of very interesting options for him. And it seems like the UFC 287 matchup between Gilbert Burns and the aforementioned Jorge Mazadal had some massive stakes, especially for Mazadal. That fight became infinitely bigger once Leon Edwards got his hand raised. But the stakes in that fight became massive for only a few minutes because at the UFC 286 post-fight press conference, Dana White goes up, he is asked who is next, and normally we don't make fights the day of the fight. Dana made a fight the day of the fight, named Colby Covington, the man who surprisingly weighed in as the backup for the main event. Colby Covington is the number one contender, and according to Dana, nothing will change that, even if Jorge Mazadal just obliterates Gilbert Burns at UFC 287. So... Jed, you are not happy with this. Colby has done some media since that announcement, including with us here at MMAfighting.com, and he has been making a lot of noise. So I guess my question is, do you feel any differently five days later than you did Saturday night? And I guess my other question is, why are people so surprised by this? Um, We're surprised by it because we're dipshits. Um, I say we because I'm absolutely among them. Uh, no, not any cooler with this. I don't care enough to let this really affect my day or bother me. Uh, but it's objectively dumb and I wish we weren't here. Uh, these are the sorts of fights. Let's go back to old Matt Hughes. Matt Hughes fought Hoist Gracie in the UFC, which was at the time widely laughed at. But the reason he did it is there was nobody else for him to fight. Like there really weren't other viable contenders for him at welterweight. Uh, And so it was like, we get to do this kind of fun thing. And that's where this fight belongs. Colby Covington, by no metric, no reasonable metric, deserves a title fight right now. Um, At least not with the, the vigor with which it has been bestowed upon him. Because Hori Masvidal sits in, sits in waiting, and I'm not here to tell you that Hori Masvidal deserves a title fight on merit. But if he beats Gilbert Burns, one, it's a better win than than Colby Covington has in the last five years, and two, there's a baked in story, and the champion wants the fight. The champion actively has no interest in fighting Colby Covington because Colby Covington hasn't beaten anybody other than Hori Masvidal in five years, and so it's there's no reason to push this this is a fight that would make sense if there were not other viable contenders if leon edwards had cleaned out the division and we're trying to figure somebody else out here's or if it's a short notice we need somebody who's going to try and gin up some interest who's going to say something real dumb who's going to threaten to murder one of our employees that's a great look for us as an organization we need that guy to try and drive boost our pay-per-view and whatever they can But that's not the case. This isn't short notice. And there's not a dearth of challengers available. There are at least two other dudes in this weight class who like outright just deserve a title fight right now. Bilal Muhammad deserves a title fight right now based on merit and based on how the sport should work meritocratically. Shavkat Rachmanov, exactly the same. Add in Hamzat Shmaev, who seems to still believe he can make it welterweight, but Dana White is just like, no. I don't, I don't really know why the UFC is just like, no, not going to do it. They've let plenty of other people catastrophically miss weight and then still go back to doing things. So I don't, I truly just don't understand the impetus here in part because 
I don't believe we have ever seen real metrics that show that Colby Covington drives the kind of interest to demand something like this. I could at least accept it or understand it. Maybe not accept it, but understand it. If we're talking Conor McGregor, is if Conor McGregor beats Michael Chandler, does he deserve a welterweight title fight? No. Are they going to give him one? Sure. And I get it. It's stupid and I hate it, but I get it. I don't think Colby's ever really shown that from any of the metrics I've looked at. He he does not appear to be a substantively bigger draw than other people. Bigger than Bilal Muhammad? thousand percent. Is he that much bigger than doing Bilal Muhammad in London? I don't think so. Like, I think it's, I think we're working minimal degrees of difference here. So still think it's dumb. Um, at some point there should be some form of meritocracy going on here, even though I know that that's not really the name of the game. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's dumb, but it makes total sense because why wouldn't something like this happen? Uh, I just, I believed too much in the goodness of the UFC, which was my first and final mistake. Damon, you were also not happy with this announcement. Uh, I was more curious of like when this decision was made. Cause I don't think it was that when Cole, like, because Colby was the backup, he automatically got it. I think the buzz that it generated him stepping on the scale Friday had Dana go, wow, people were talking about this. I didn't see this coming. And the fact that Dana's own son called him on the phone and was like, what the hell is Colby Covington doing in London? I think that kind of jarred something for him, but that's neither here nor there. But you are the man, Damon, who taught me many, many years ago a very important lesson in the sport. Strike the word deserves from my vocabulary, and that is something that I've done for six or seven years. So why is this so surprising to everybody? I mean, in reality, it's not, it shouldn't be surprising, right? Like when we really think about it, it shouldn't be surprising because this is classic UFC. Um, this is what they do. Um, they try to make fights based on fan interest, even though there's no demonstrable metric that proves that Colby Covington is this draw. He's had a couple of rivalry fights that have drawn well with Kamaru Usman and, and Jorge Masvidal, but there's no proof out there that Colby is some huge driver to pay-per-view sales or the people are going out of their way to plunk down $80 to watch him fight. Do people turn on YouTube to see him say stupid things and, and say crazy things and threaten broadcasters and, you know, say things that are just, you know, skirting the edge of all sorts of problematic. Sure. Is that going to be worth $80 to watch him fight on pay-per-view? Probably not. Um, so I don't know where's this this idea that he's this huge star, this huge needle mover um, that people want to see fight. I guarantee you bring back Nate Diaz and do him and Leon Edwards too. That does double what Colby Covington's about to do, which I'm shocked they didn't try that one. Um, so no, it doesn't surprise me. Um, I also think, I think, you know, one thing I will give Colby credit for as I was thinking about this over the last couple of days is that you know, when you really think about it, you know, him coming back kind of out of the shadows, out of nowhere after going into witness protection program for the last year, is that it just surprised people. We hadn't heard from him. He's been quiet. He didn't comment after Leon knocked out Usman. He didn't comment, you know, any of the other fights being made. He didn't comment on anything happening. He went completely disappeared off the map as a joke in witness protection after the Jorge Masvidal assault. He just went away. Never heard from him. We all kind of forgot about him. And then, boom, out of nowhere, he's here. He's at the weigh-ins. He's, he's, he's doing that. And then now he's doing the media circuit again where he's back saying, you know, things that were relevant in 2020. So, you know, people are, people are, are, are suddenly interested again a little bit. But I, I, just, I, I just hate the fact that, you know, if, if there weren't other better options available, 
Um, that just it, it wouldn't it wouldn't matter if that wasn't the fact. But Bilal Muhammad, I don't care what you think about Bilal Muhammad. You don't have to like Bilal Muhammad. I don't care if you do or not. The guy's unbeaten in his last nine fights, and he has three really quality wins in a row with Wonder Boy, with Vicente Luque, and with Sean Brady. Um, the winner of Gilbert Burns, Jorge Masvidal. Now you could say Jorge Masvidal has a loss to to Colby Covington, but he also has a three piece in a soda, and that is a natural storyline to build up a much bigger fight with Leon Edwards. That would be a huge fight comparatively to Colby Covington. Leon Edwards can can fight uh, Jorge Masvidal, and I would argue even Gilbert Burns would be a better option if he goes out there and starches Jorge Masvidal because he would have the two wins in a row and just a better overall resume at welterweights than anything anything Colby Covington has done in the last five years. But again, this is the sport we we live in. <laughs> Jed just said it. Weird things happen. Conor McGregor beats a lightweight at welterweight. Michael Chandler, they'll give him a title shot. We've seen other weird things. that make. I just, this one, the reason it, it bugs me or the reason I'm still just don't under, I just don't get it. Like, I don't understand why Colby suddenly became the guy when you have a fight in two weeks that could potentially give you a much bigger, better fight. Even if you could argue that Jorge Masvidal doesn't deserve it. No, of course he doesn't really deserve it, but you know, he has the history of Leon. So it's a story. I just don't understand why you're so emphatic saying he's the number one guy and he's getting the title shot. I will say one last thing about this, though. As worked up as we've all been over the last four or five days since this happened, no contracts have been signed. Nothing's happened yet. We don't know if this fight's actually going to happen. How many guys or girls have been declared the number one contender and Dana said they're getting the next shot and they don't get the next shot? Something happens. Someone gets injured. They want to put a card somewhere that the other guy doesn't want to go to. The timing doesn't work. I mean, Francis Ngannou knocks out Stipe Miocic. The UFC desperately needs a main event four months later and he doesn't want to fight that early. And so they just give an interim title to Surreal Gon and Derek Lewis of all people. That's how the UFC operates. <laughs> They're saying Colby Covington right now. Guess what? Colby Covington slips and falls on a banana pill tomorrow, or you know maybe he gets punched in the crowd for threatening John Anik, and then suddenly by August we're like, oh, it's going to be Gilbert Burns and 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 uh, Leon Edwards. Oh, it's going to be Bilal Muhammad and Leon Edwards. This is all right now. A lot of things change in the UFC very rapidly, and so I'm still not completely sold. We're actually going to see Colby Covington fight Leon Edwards. David, yeah, I'll do you one better. I'll do you one better, David. You don't need to go to Francis Ngannou as an example for this. Kobe has twice talked himself out of title fights already. <laughs> he was an interim champion and didn't fight for the undisputed belt. They took it from him and made him fight Robbie Lawler because this man knows how to shoot himself in the foot like very few other people in the history of the sport. He seems to be back in the good graces, but also he did just this week threaten to murder a UFC commentator, a widely beloved employee of the company. So he may already have thrown his title aspirations out the window in no way as a set in stone fully agree with you. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute as well. Honestly, to me, the the biggest surprise was not Colby getting a title shot. It was just the announcement and when it happened. Like if this was April 9th and UFC 287 is over and Gilbert Burns wins a 30-27 decision over Jorge Mazdal and Dana goes sure. up and says Colby's next, I don't think it's getting this much backlash, if you will. There'll be some people who think Bilal Muhammad deserves it, and he does, meritocratically, 100%. But I think if the timing was a little bit better, if he just waited three weeks for the outcome of that fight, I don't think it's as bad. So let me ask you this, Damon. If Jorge Mazadal goes out there and just puts the boots 
to Gilbert Burns. Flying knee knocks him out in the first round. Will Dana White go on that at that table with a microphone in his hand and say, you know what? Maybe we will do Mazda at all. Do you think that happens? I don't know if he'll commit to it on the night because Dana, for some weird reason, always likes to say we don't make fights the night of the fight, even though he's done it a million times over. Um, and he just did it, you know, four days ago. But 100% they'll reconsider. They'll absolutely reconsider because Masvidal winning is a bigger fight. It is a bigger fight for him to go fight Leon Edwards, especially if they do it in London after what happened the last time they were in London together with the whole three-piece of Minnesota. Absolutely they'll rethink their decision because Masvidal is a much, much bigger star than Colby Covington. And we just, you know, we all talked about earlier, Leon Edwards is still not that guy. He's still not that star. He's not that guy who's going to draw people just because he's Leon Edwards. He needs a rivalry fight. Guess what? Jorge Masvidal is the perfect rivalry fight. And also, because Usman's out of the picture now, we can kind of we can kind of move on from the whole – from the whole he has two losses to Kamar Usman thing. He got knocked out by Kamar Usman. We kind of move past that now. And we move into the rivalry fight. And absolutely, if he goes out there and just starches Gilbert Burns, which I'll be completely honest, I think a lot of us will probably agree I don't see that happening, but it could. And if it does, 100% they'll start reconsidering it. I don't think he'll call it the night of the fight to say it's over, we're giving it to Jorge. But I think suddenly you'll start seeing things get chipped away at the foundation of Dana White declaring Colby Covington as the number one contender because Leon's going to immediately call for it. Fans are going to start immediately calling for it. And suddenly people are going to start forgetting about Colby Covington. They're going to be banging the drum for Masvidal to get that fight to uh, go over there and see if he can finish his combo meal with Leon Edwards. Chad, what do you think? Because look, me and Damon don't. Me and Dana don't have a lot in common. We're both bald. He has considerably much more money than I have. But there is one thing we definitely have in common. We are stubborn as hell. And if we have our feet planted in the sand and people are against us, we're just gonna dig deeper. And Dana has probably seen the aftermath of this. And there could be a chance that the Bostonian and him will just dig a little deeper here. But if Mazadal just goes in there and does what. The betting odds don't suggest will happen, but if it does and he goes out there and obliterates Gilbert Burns and everybody, all the momentum is towards Mazadal, do you think Dana will change his mind? I do, um, in part because, one, we've seen him do it plenty of times before. He had that famous quote of somebody asked him at a press conference. I don't remember exactly what it was about. It was something like this where he said this will never happen. Uh, and it's like, you, hey, you said that ship had sailed. What happened? Why are we doing it? He's like, well, the ship turned around and sailed right back. And I think that's where we're at for all the reasons Damon said. Uh, most importantly, though, which Damon didn't really mention, the outcome is so much better if Mosfidal wins because that's the part of this that is maybe more frustrating is what comes next, right? Like I'm going to pick Leon Edwards to beat Colby Covington should they fight. I'd pick the same for Jorge Masvidal should they rematch or I guess fight. They did not fight. Um, But what if he doesn't win, right? Like it won't be cataclysmic because again, Leon Edwards isn't some huge star that you're losing, but it's way better for the company to have Jorge Masvidal with the belt. You have a built-in fight with Colby Covington that you can go to if you needed to. Or, more likely, Masvidal versus Conor McGregor for the welterweight belt is the biggest fight the UFC can make with people currently on its roster right now. Like, I I believe that Conor McGregor versus Rory Masvidal in any instance is the biggest fight the UFC can currently construct. I don't think Conor is incentivized really to take that fight. However, Masvidal has the welterweight belt. You got that 
12 pounds of gold on the line. It's the biggest fight you can do. There are, it's just better. Covington versus McGregor isn't a bad business, but it's not great. That fight's probably going to go one way, which isn't nearly as, as lucrative for the UFC to have Colby Covington lay on Conor McGregor for five rounds. And then once Colby's done that, he's going to be impossible to work with. He is going to be impossible to get him to fight Shafkat Rachmanov. Like, shit just ain't going to happen. And so then we're looking at a year, 18 months down the line, the welterweight division is in shambles because you let Colby Covington get a belt, and that's probably not the best business decision you could ever make. Whereas giving Masvidal a chance most likely just keeps Leon in, in charge, which seems to be working and fine for you. And even if it doesn't, you're creating a situation that's just better for you. So I think from a promotional standpoint of matchmaking and looking at how outcomes can play out, it's much better for Masvidal to get this title fight. And it's under the exact same auspices as Colt Covington getting it. Of like, well, they're there to sell tickets, not be the most deserving challenger. So I think that cooler heads will eventually prevail if Masvidal can flying knee Gilbert runs his face off. If he can't, which I think is far more likely outcome. All right, Colby Covington's fighting <laughs> Leon Edwards in October. Cool. <laughs> this is where well, we're going to be. The funny, the funniest part about this whole thing is that while everyone, no one, no one understands why Colby's getting the opportunity. Everyone understands why Jorge would get the opportunity because having talked to both Gilbert Burns and Bilal Muhammad over the last three days, Bilal Muhammad said, even on his nine fight unbeaten streak, he's like, I was only worried about Masvidal. If Masvidal beat Gilbert, I was just pretty much resigning that I was going to fight Colby. Like he wasn't even saying I get I, I I'm gonna make a big you know drama show about not getting the title shot. He said if Masvidal won, I was pretty much assuming I was gonna fight Colby. And Gilbert Burns just said the same thing. Gilbert Burns said I just you know when when Leon won, I just immediately felt like my fight got bigger because everyone's gonna wonder if Masvidal could beat me. Can he get the title shot? Everyone's on board with that one, even though it doesn't really make sense when you think of Masvidal's overall record. But nobody. There's not a person on earth who logically looks at the fight and says, man, Colby Covington, really, this is a, this is a great matchup. This should really happen. Uh, nobody's saying that. Everybody is, even the guys who were ahead of him, Bilal Muhammad is saying, yeah, if Masvidal won, I pretty much assumed I was going to have to fight Colby and I wasn't getting the title shot. Even he logically can say, yeah, I get it. And when that happens, then you know it's a big fight because everyone sees the marketability in that fight. It just, it just, it, like I said, it just boggles my mind how we've come to Colby Covington on this date two weeks ahead of a fight that could absolutely make a bigger fight yeah the whole thing with Bilal has been really interesting because I've kind of predicted his path through all of this through his entire run to get to this point um it just a lot of things a lot of call outs he had like after these big wins just didn't make a lot of sense when like Hamzat was right there and then he would go and do the the, you know, the media interviews afterwards, and then he would pivot to Hamzad and it was just too little too late. And I think if he handled things a little bit differently in those moments, he'd be in a better spot right now, but that's neither here nor there. I actually think he's handled himself pretty well. He's getting out there. And I want to go back to the interview that I, that I did with Colby Damon, because he said some pretty crazy stuff as he typically does. He issues the threat to John Anik, which by the way, if you just saw the clip, I never asked him about John Anik. John Anik's name never came out of my mouth. This was, it was just a general question and he brought that up on his own and everybody watching this right now or anybody hearing the sound of my voice, if you know me long enough, 
you know the respect and admiration I have for John Anik, so I'd never put him in that position anyways. I think he's one of the best commentators, not just in combat sports, not just in MMA, but in all of sports. I hold John Anik in such high regard, so that was a very uncomfortable moment. So I could have taken two lanes with this. I could have just like doubled down on it and like kept it going, and I just felt like that wasn't the right thing to do. Or I could just pivot immediately and just keep the uncomfort level at a certain point. I chose the latter, pivoted immediately, moved on to other things. But Damon Balala, and you talk to him, he has sort of used this threat to issue one of his own to Colby, saying that if he sees him in Miami, he's just going to go up and slap him across the face. He's publicly having John's back. He's doing interviews with you and uh, did one with ESPN, TMC. He's doing them with everybody. So did Colby actually do... Allah Muhammad a favor with that comment because more more people seem to be jumping on team Bilal Muhammad than ever before. And it's mostly because of this. There are a few instances in the sport where a guy or girl who doesn't really have a ton of fan support suddenly becomes a bit of a fan favorite when they get passed over badly for a title fight. It's happened a couple times in history. Now, People probably won't remember the outcry, but there was a there was a pretty sizable outcry when Johnny Hendricks was the number one contender and the UFC just gave Nick Diaz a title shot against George St. Pierre for no reason whatsoever. Now, of course, that was a much bigger fight, and you know, we all agree it was a much bigger fight, but at the time, Johnny Hendricks was on this huge winning streak and he was clearly the number one contender. And it kind of built people into backing him a little bit. And then when the fight did happen, it actually did make the George St. Pierre Johnny Hendricks fight a little bit bigger and it felt bigger. Um Bilal Muhammad is not that guy. He's not a star. He's not an overly beloved fighter. He doesn't have a ton of people banging the drum and saying he's this or he's that. And he's great and he's being screwed. But first off, when you pass him over for a guy that nobody generally seems to like all that much, there's one because he was clearly the guy who desired, who deserved, quote unquote, as you and I know about using that word, deserved the title shot, nine fight on big streak, all those things. But then Colby coming out and attacking a guy that, as you said, is so universally beloved, it just gave Bilal the perfect ammunition to go after him because there's just certain people you can't say those things about and imagine that others are not going to turn against you for it. So Bilal was so smart in, in doing the interview with me, which the clip you know blew up yesterday. He did interviews with a lot of people, and that has continuously been the thing that everyone's grabbed onto because – threatening John Anik and threatening to orphan his kids and stuff is such a weird, strange, and also really uh, aggressive threat to make to a freaking play-by-play guy who is, again, universally loved. And then Bilal Muhammad, who does a podcast on Anik and Florian's podcast network uh, because he did an interview with them first. Somehow John Anik is the bad guy. Bilal Muhammad taking that and running with it? is brilliant it's probably the best marketing he's had for a title fight yet and it has nothing to do with leon edwards or the championship him backing john anik and saying if i see you in miami it's on site and if you even look at him sideways i'm gonna come and slap you in your face which you know will it actually happen i don't know we, we know things have not worked out very well for colby covington in the street fights lately uh so i don't know if that would actually happen but uh it's brilliant it's it's probably the best bit of marketing that Bilal's had in his entire career and I love that he's running with it because people now suddenly care people who were kind of, you know, not saying against him, but just kind of like indifferent to him now have two things to run with one. He's getting screwed over for the title shot. He probably earned. And two, he's backing up John in again, a guy that everyone loves. 
Jed, what, what do you think about that? Because I think he did him a favor. I don't know if this like this sort of buzz and, and reaction will leap him over Colby, but at least it generates buzz for a potential fight with Colby. Like if Mazadal wins, the UFC has two pretty interesting fights. They could just run two clips back to back to sell both of those fights. You could do Bilal versus Colby. It's actually got some interest and some heat on it. It was just kind of a thing before, and it was a fight I never thought would happen unless Colby won the belt and Bilal just kept winning and got his way up there. But now, for the first time since Bilal has called him out like a couple of wins ago, this fight is actually interesting. It could happen. And I think the way Bilal has handled this has been brilliant. Did Colby actually do him a favor with just that out-of-the-box, out-of-nowhere comment about John Anik? Theoretically, yes. Practically, not really. Um like it all makes sense from a hypothetical standpoint. The problem is, as we've all sort of nudged to the, during this whole thing, is all of it hinges on Hori Masaro beating Gilbert Burns, and that's not going to happen. So it's all kind of moot. Like theoretically, yes. Uh, I think that uh, one, I agree. Good for Bilal to pick the ball up and run. There, there's at least something here to to build off of and he didn't fumble the bag as he has been known to do. So congrats on that. That's good. Maybe this sets him up for a fight with Colby down the line. Should Colby win the belt, etc. But even then I still don't think that's likely because if Colby wins the belt, he's going to try and fight Connor. He's going to try and not defend the belt. He's going to call out to fight uh, Israel Adesanya or, or uh, Alex Pereira. It's he's going to not do the thing of defending against deserving no named or, uh, names you can't remember despite their nickname names like that's he's not going to fight those dudes so uh, like yes in some world where Masvidal does win and the UFC slash Dana White do decide to walk back uh, their previous statements and Masvidal gets the title fight then Colby is in an okay position because he gets to say the UFC is screwing me out of the title shot they guaranteed me and they're giving it to a guy I just beat. Uh, this is garbage and now they're making me fight this dude and nobody like, yeah, sure. I, I just think it's all moot. Like, I don't think this matters. I, I will be fairly surprised if we see Bilal Muhammad and Colby Covington fight within the next 12 months. And I won't be at all surprised if Bilal Muhammad is is secretly two wins away from getting a title shot, which sucks so hard for the man. Uh, but you you adopted the Leon Edwards mantle. They gave Leon a shot, and now you're the next guy in that realm. Sucks to be you. Sorry about it. Real quick, like 30 seconds or less for each of you. Jed, I'll start with you. Will the UFC say or do anything about what Colby said about John Anik. Will they say anything or will this be a, well, we have 700 maniacs on the roster, blah, blah, blah. No, it's clown show organization. Uh, this, this is very seriously should not be treated with, uh, with kid gloves. They should come out and make a statement. Like if this were literally any other, not even sports organization, a professional organization, wherein one contractor threatened the life of an employee, they would be publicly reprimanded. And that's what should happen here. But Clown show. It's a clown show organization. Garbage nonsense. Oh, he didn't mean it. Whatever. It's it's fucking bullshit. Um, but nothing's gonna happen. Damon. The organization didn't put out a statement when the president of the company got caught on camera slapping his wife. 
Nobody said a word. No one said a. Do you think they're actually going to say something to to actually back John Anik against Colby? No, absolutely not. They're not going to say a word. And if Colby, if, if Dana does eventually address it, oh, they're fighters. This is fighting. This isn't ballerina. They're That's fighters. That's the problem, they say though. Crazy they're not. <laughs> Colby Covington is a fighter. He threatened a non-fighter. It would be stupid and unacceptable if this was him threatening the life of any other fighter, but at least you can, you can lean on that. This is him threatening a, an employee who has never stepped foot in the cage. It is basically unacceptable. And there's not a chance in hell they're going to do shit about this. Nothing. Well, round two is over. Let's go to round three. The point for round two goes to Jed Mishu, it's one to one. Couple of good rounds. Uh, let's put a bow on UFC 286 real quick. Co-main event, Justin Gaethje. Decision win against Rafael Fazib. Great fight. Gaethje showing a lot of smarts. He lured Fazib into his world, his kind of a fight, and then turned up the technique volume in round three to about a 20. So I love the fight, Damon. I love the performance. How did you grade Gaethje's victory and is it the Dustin Poirier rematch next? Yeah, it's the Dustin Poirier rematch. It's the only one that really makes sense. I mean, logically, Dustin Poirier should be fighting Benil Dariush, but he turned that one down for some unknown reason because Benil apparently wasn't a big enough star. Um, so he's going to fight Justin Gaethje instead. So, yeah, it's the only fight that makes sense. Justin Gaethje, huge credit, man. I mean, to go out there and beat a, just an absolute savage in, in, in Rafael Fiziev, as we learned his actual last name is. Um, to go out there and, and, and have that first round with the speed and the kicks and everything that, that, that Fiziev was doing well, and then to come back and beat him in rounds two and three. Also, I want to eliminate this weird narrative suddenly that, that it was a controversial decision. I don't think it was controversial at all. Um, I thought Justin Gaethje won. Don't get me wrong. You know, Fiziev had a great performance, uh, but I thought Gaethje won. Uh, but Gaethje going out there and beating a guy who was lower than him in the rankings, who was kind of like the next up and coming, you know, the next guy, so to speak, go out there and vanquish him in such impressive fashion and, and basically do what Justin Gaethje always does. Just walk through people like the Terminator and find a way to beat them. Even though he's not technically probably the most skilled guy in the cage doing what he's doing. No one's going to argue that Rafael Fiziev is not the better overall striker than Justin Gaethje, but Justin Gaethje still found a way to be. I mean, even through a takedown for Christ's sake, he shut up all the people like me who say, man, you're an all American wrestler from a college that now, by the way, has another uh, all American wrestler. They crowned their second one ever uh, this past week at the NCAA championships, but you're, you're an all American wrestler. Use your wrestling. And he shut us all up by actually using, going for a takedown Two of them. He landed one. So yeah, it's incredible performance from Gaethje. He understands he's at the tail end of his career. He said, I don't have much time left. Uh, I think the Poirier rematch is a big fight. It's a it's an easy main event, and I'm telling you, you could easily do a five round main event on a pay per view, and it it boosts whatever pay per view it's on. So that's absolutely the fight. And uh, kudos to Gaethje, man. That guy just continuously finds ways to prove people wrong when it looks like maybe he's done or maybe he's on on a downgrade. Uh, he just keeps pulling him out. Jed, grade for Gaethje's win, and are we doing Poirier again? I mean, A, A plus, and we're for sure doing Poirier. Damon touched on it at the end there. Uh, this is one of the rare fights that can headline a pay-per-view that will not have a belt on the line. Like if the UFC put this, just came out tomorrow and was like UFC 290, wherever that event will end up taking place, 
the main event is Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje. You can even just go ahead and say, because functionally it will be true, lightweight title shots on the line. Uh, nobody is batting an eye. Nobody's being like, mm, this card needs a little bit more juice to it or whatever. We're all going to be fanboying out over it, as we should, and it's going to do well on pay-per-view. Poirier is a star. Gaethje's not like a huge star, but um, well-known, and their fight, you promote that as this was the fight of the year five years ago i think i think it was the 2017 was when they fought um fight of the year we're running it back for with a lightweight title shot on the line you get his Makachev to show up just to sit cage side for his next guy i mean it's it, it's the whole shebang or you can just have it as the co-main event a five-round co-main event uh either either or works and yeah and we talked about it a lot the top of the lightweight division likes to squat um kind of play around robin with each other credit to gaethje he took took the challenge he fought somebody behind him gave somebody an opportunity most people were not picking him to win and he showed he still got it he he says he's got one more one more run of the title left in him i'd love to see it i don't think he'll get the belt but i'd i'd love to see him get one more chance because he's the most exciting fighter i've ever seen fist fight so i will always be happy to watch him and are you going to run back a fight of the year it's the only thing to do there's no other option who is the low-key mvp of ufc 286 jed oh low-key mvp of 286 uh i think i said this on the post show i think this was where i picked off and i still i'm still going with it you know ashmas like didn't man got robbed of a bonus absolute thievery going on giving gunner nelson a bonus <laughs> not that his, not that his armbar was bad or whatever but like who that was it was all it was even money for gunner nelson to submit brian barbara <laughs> like we all knew it was gonna happen there it's not it's not cool but you know ashmas delivers one of the best knockouts of the year that left hand landing on sam patterson as patterson's falling down and then just a savage follow-up like on a card that didn't frankly have a ton of other stuff that was super compelling, that was awesome. And the fact that he doesn't get a bonus was such nonsense. So, you know, Ashmas, props to you. Damon, Loki MVP. I mean, I want to say the CLD nickname just because it gave us things to talk about for days after is how hilarious it was that that was like suddenly an incredible nickname that is his initials. Um, I almost want to say Veronica Hardy coming back from three years away and actually pulling off a pretty impressive win the way she did. But I'm going to go with Muhammad Makaya because even though he may not be quite the prospect that we all built him into being, we talked about this on our ranking show the other day, the fact that he got caught in that knee bar and watched his knee just absolutely get shredded and he still managed to fight through that and then go come back and get a win. I thought that was so impressive and if he had just, I weirdly, I think if he had just gone out there and just starched Jafel Filo, I don't think we'd really be talking about it all that much because we'd say, well, it was expected. But the fact that he had to fight through that knee bar, a submission that looked like it 100% should have finished him, and then he still went out there and then got the, the submission of his own like minutes later, uh, huge. And I think that was the narrative. That was probably the biggest narrative coming off the prelims was Muhammad Mukhaev over everybody else. And even, you know, for the most part in the early part of the main card, because no one really buzzed about Marvin Vittori going out there and winning a 29-28 decision because that's what Marvin Vittori does. Uh, Jennifer Maya beating previously undefeated Casey O'Neill. No one seemed to really care. And Gunnar Nelson loved the dude going out there and armbarring a dude uh, who he's just that much better than on the ground isn't all that surprising. But Muhammad Mikhaev doing what he did uh, was shocking and and, and quite, uh, quite a moment for that card. 
Well, that's UFC 286. Let's move on to this Saturday. The point for round three goes to... (laughs) This Saturday is a tough hang, man. (laughs) Damon Martin, it's two to one. (laughs) The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Uh, Jed's face, his reaction, <laughs> the sound tells us everything. So that's we're going to start with you, Jed. Let's go right into this. UFC San Antonio, uh, 13 fights on the docket. Early start time. You got a 4 p.m. prelims Eastern time, 7 p.m. main card, a main event, that we're going to talk about in a moment, a really good main event between Marlon Vera and Corey Sandhagen. What are your thoughts on this uh, first post-286 offering from the Ultimate Fighting Championship? My thoughts can be summed up. I'm going to read you a line from the Wikipedia page of this event. Uh, a bantamweight bout between Marlon Vera and former interim bantamweight championship challenger Corey Sandhagen expected to headline. They were previously expected to headline UFC Fight Night Andrade versus Blanchfield, but were rescheduled to this event for unknown reasons. Those reasons are only unknown if you cannot read, because if you can, you can then just scroll slightly down the page and look at the lineup and say... <laughs> totally get why they put this very very fun great fight on to headline this event which otherwise would be headlined by holly holm versus yana santos nekunitskaya um this is a tough card outside of the main event there are three flyweight bouts on this you know my love for flyweights you've heard no bets barred that's the card realistically like nate lander is usually a good time so he gets to fight but, I mean, it's a tough hang, Mike. And I'll tell you why. And there's there's a also it's not an unknown reason why it's a tough hang. Uh, there's just other shit going on in the world. And they're not really focused on this event. They had two pay-per-views this month. Asking them to put together that many great cards is a lot. And they've got another pay-per-view in two weeks. So we're just here. Uh We've got a great main event, and there are, I don't know, like 11 other fights, looks like, 12 other fights going on, 12, 11 other fights, and a really good main event. Um, yeah, that's that's the full breakdown on this card. There, It is tough, tough sledding to find something that is compelling in, like, real ways. Damon Jed sold that card so well. The viewership for Saturday's ESPN Plus offering is is going to get jacked up because of what Jed just said. Can you top it? Can you top that? There are two women's bantamweight fights on the card, Mike. I don't make the rules. <laughs> two of them. They had like seven women's bantamweight fights in the entirety of 2022. They put two on this card. It's it's bad, man. It's bad card. <laughs> 
so there were there there were rumors if you guys probably heard this i know i i mentioned it and i think uh ariel may have mentioned on the mma hour uh there were rumors at one point the ufc was considering doing a all women's card for this event and i had heard very very early on very early on that there was even consideration for macy barber versus andrea lee to be the co-main of the main event co-main i think was the main one that should tell you where this card started and where it ended up. Uh, Corey Sandhagen and Marlon Chito Vera in phenomenal main event. Incredible main event. Deserves all the flowers. It's going to be awesome. I can't imagine it's going to be anything other than awesome. But when you look down the rest of this card, it's just really bad. And also, let me just mention, in terms of like the matchmakers or ESPN or UFC or whoever's doing the, the card order here, I understand you try to build up the prelims for a pay-per-view because you want people to get a compelling fight to then go buy the $80 pay-per-view. Why Manel Cop versus Alex Perez is on the prelims and not the co-main event over a fight that, let's just be honest, no one really cares all that much about between Holly Holm and Yana Santos. How that is on the prelims versus being the co-main event, which is outside of the main event, by far the most interesting fight on this entire card. Uh, I have no idea. So that in and of itself makes me angry because that fight is so far down, you know, I mean, when you look at, again, I understand it's on ESPN plus. So, you know, the prelims in the main card kind of, kind of blend together, but Andrea Lee, Macy Barber on the main card, Chitty Inja Kawani and Albert Duraev is on the main card. I like Nate Landwehr. That seems like a pretty fun fight. Although Austin Lingo is a kind of a latest replacement, maybe not as much, but yeah, how Alex Perez and Manel Cobb is not the actual co-main events of this fight card. I have zero idea. Uh, so yeah, it's rough. Uh, the fans in San Antonio, I hope you get your money's worth with the main event because otherwise you're going to be real, real, real disappointed when this one's over. Perez Cop, second fight of the main card. It's going to follow uh, what should be a short fight between Chidi and Jokowani and Albert Oh, it is Dariah. on the main card now. Yeah, it's on the main card. Uh, it's on the main card. Okay. Whew, I was going to say, man. It I really should just be the co-main event, though. Yeah. Like, yeah. I know that you're putting Holly Holm there because Holly Holm is Holly Holm, but like no one cares as Damon said, and you at least could maybe get some juice by putting Manel cop Alex Prez there as be like, Oh, these people got billing in f- above Holly home. Maybe this is, maybe there's something to look at here, which there is in the flyweight division. Both of them are top 10 flyweights and not terribly far off of title shots. So it's a tough hang. It's a tough card. There's one really good thing about this card. Mike, do, are we about to do like low key banger? Uh, I mean, sure. Chuck, Chuck one out of there. I don't, it's not a low key banger. It has nothing to do with the quality of the fight, which may well, it will be awful. The fight itself will not be good. It may be entertaining. Uh, the quality of it won't be good, but it's a good thing guys. This is for, this is for us. This is a little inside baseball. You know how for the last year we've really struggled to find 15 women to put in the women's bantamweight rankings. The, the opener, the, the curtain jerker is a women's bandweight bout. So one of those women can at least take the number 15 spot. Whoever wins is going to be ranked by virtue of there literally not being another candidate worthy of it. So the stakes start right at the beginning of the night, guys. Wow. And, and to add to the stakes, this tell you just how committed we all are to this. Uh, I think we all know on the staff, I, 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 I have a hard time taking time off work. I tend to work a lot and I like my job very much. I'm actually taking this weekend off uh, to go to a horror movie convention. So I'm actually going to miss this card and 
I don't really think I'm gonna miss all that much outside of coming back and you know very much well, when I get home, you know, watching, sick. watching the main event. That's the one thing I'm excited to see. And you know what? I may actually make it home in time just for the main event. And I'm like, you know what? That's actually pretty good timing. Well, let's talk about it real quick, Damon. Uh, like you said, main event is great. Marlon Vera on a roll, four wins in a row, ten and two over his last twelve. You can make a case that he should be 11 and one over his last 12. We talk about the Song Yudong fight, but that doesn't really matter here. Fighting Corey Sanhagen, who coincidentally enough looked really good in his win over Song Yudong, former interim title challenger. Bantamweight is deep, it's fun, second best division in the sport, but it's a mess right now, Damon. Like all these divisions, it is a gosh darn mess. What is on the line here for these two guys with this division being as messy as it is right now? You're pretty much playing either the Marab Dewalish Vili or potentially the Sean O'Malley sweepstakes, depending on how this fight plays out. Because as much as Sean O'Malley is saying, I'm the number one contender and I'm next in line, the fact that Henry Cejudo and Aljamain Sterling aren't fighting until May puts it in real jeopardy that Sean O'Malley won't fight again until 2024 because there is a really good chance, depending on how that fight plays out, that the winner of that fight does not fight again until the end of the year or maybe early next year. And I, again, once again, just like the Colby Covington thing, no contracts are signed, promises are made all the time. And yes, Sean O'Malley would be uh, the biggest fight possible for Aljamain or Henry Cejudo. The reality is, is that, you know, he would end up sitting out for the better part of a year or more to get the winner of that. And again, you're still not even guaranteed that. I mean, Aljamain Sterling has dealt with all sorts of injuries, uh, bicep injuries, neck injuries, uh, wrist injuries. Uh, if he goes through and actually beats Henry Cejudo, he can be out for another year. Um, then maybe you do a title interim title and that could be the case. So this is really coming down to the Marab and or O'Malley sweepstakes for the winner of this fight. Uh, for Corey Sanhagen, you know, I know he said he wants to call out Sean O'Malley. I know he said he kind of figures Marab is probably going to be the guy because he doesn't know if O'Malley will actually fight him. But again, I think it all comes down to timing. If Sean, if, if Sanhagen can go out there and win impressively and then they do an interim title with him and O'Malley, that would make a lot of sense. Obviously, if Cheeto wins, him and O'Malley too is a monstrous fight, probably bigger than the title fight. And that would also make a lot of sense for an interim title. And then Marab is kind of the, the man left out. But, you know, as we all know, he's not going to fight Aljamain. So until Aljamain is no longer the champion or he leaves the division, Marab is going to be kind of like the, the guy in no man's land. So I think that's really what it comes down to, depending on how the fight plays out and the timing of this with the title fight. It's either an O'Malley or a Marab to Wallace sweepstakes. Jed, what's on the line here? I don't know. Nothing. I don't, because I don't think it's either of those. Like, if, if Cheeto wins, I think they they bench him. Like, that's what I would do. If Cheeto wins, like, you can't have him continue to fight people because he's the second biggest star in the division behind O'Malley. So I think if Cheeto wins, you, you're benching him and you're seeing what plays out at 288, how Cejudo and Sterling shakes out, all of that. Um, unless maybe, but no, like I think you're just benching him until maybe the end of the year, early next year for a title fight. Um, be that against O'Malley in the interim basis, what, what have you. Uh, if, if Sandhagen wins, God love him. Like he might actually end up fighting Marab just because it'll give Marab something to do. I don't think the UFC will be that upset if Sandhagen wins or loses that fight. So that might make sense. But I think the 
fight that I would hope to see happen here uh, is that Sandhagen would fight Adrian Yanez, the winner of Yanez Font, because that fight makes sense. Like he's Bantamweight's deep because they opted to do this Henry Cejudo nonsense. Uh, it's a little bit jammed up at the moment. And because Cheeto Vero wants to stay active, it's staying, it's, it's staying a little bit jammed up. So I don't think either man is getting much out of this other than, I mean, Cheeto, Cheeto can win this and not fight again. If he wins this, he can sit and wait for a title shot, whether he will choose to do that whole different story. Uh, if Sanhagen wins, he's still going to have to fight somebody and it's maybe it's Marab, maybe it's somebody else, but so it's not a title shot is theoretically at stake, but I think realistically, it's a long time on the shelf for one of them, and it's fighting Marab or Adrian Yanez next for the other. All right. Well, that's UFC San Antonio. We'll talk more about it on the preview show tomorrow, but point for round four goes to... Jed Mishu with his positive energy. It's two to two. And that means it's time for the knockout round. One minute for each of these gentlemen. And then you, the fine listeners of this program, will decide the winners. You can cast your vote. I believe that the poll is up right now. And we'll do the knockout round question. Jed, since you're preparing for your Price is Right television debut, what are we going to do here? Are you going to play the statistics, play the historical numbers, and pass this on over to Damon? Or are you just going to screw up the norm like you typically do and go first with this question? You know what? I'll go first. Let's mix it up a little bit. You got to be okay. prepared in case I don't have the option to pass the showcase. I got to be ready to to stay on my feet either way. So let's let's test some new muscles. Let's go first. Okay. Well, if you watched the MMA hour yesterday, you may have seen a person join the program. His name is Hamza Chemaev. Had a lot to say about a lot of different things. Whether he could fight at 185 or 205 or 170, he says he's down for all three. And typically, Jed, after these cards, myself and my best friend, Alexander K. Lee, we like to play matchmaker. We try to get ought no points by predicting the correct matchup. So here we are. It is March 23rd, 2023. Hamza Chemaev wants to fight in July. Who are we matching him up with? Try to get yourself an ought no point here. Is it at 170? Is it 185? Is it 205? What is the matchup question? Before sure. we begin to clarify, is this who I would like or is this what I believe will happen? Is this the magic wand to, to take the out no phrase or is this the predictive? This is the predictive. We're going predictive. with the predictive. Okay. Magic okay. wand is fun, but predictive is a little more compelling. Okay. That's why I wanted eyes. to clarify. That's why I wanted All to right. clarify. Okay. So predictive. One minute on the clock. Hamza Chemaya versus question mark, question mark. Go. I believe in July we are going to see Hamza Chemaev face the one, the only, Paulo Costa. It's going to be a middleweight bout. There is a beef there. We we know what happened at, I don't even remember the event. Was that too, I don't, the numbers all blurred together for me. The last time he was fighting, uh, we were supposed to fight Nate, whatever, the whole showdown, the Costa stuff happened. There was all that footage about, you know, them beefing with each other. They've built this and... We just saw, just broke earlier this week. I want to say Guillermo Cruz is the one who broke it, but that might not be true, so don't quote me on it. Paulo Costa has re-signed with the UFC. 
multi-fight deal. He's back. The talk was a long time. He was going to PFL. He's going to do it. Nope, he's back. And what do you do with that guy? You put him in the fight that he wants. You get Hams out of fight over a top five middleweight. And then with the win, it is entirely reasonable and the correct move for Hamza to challenge for the UFC middleweight championship later at the end of this year. Uh, yes, Paul Costa has not signed, uh, has not re-signed just yet. He has agreed to the terms, uh, but Penn has not gone to paper yet. And with Paul Costa, you never know, but I like that one. There's other options in play for Paul Costa. He called it another name as well. Sean Strickland, who knows what will happen. But Damon, we go to you. Hamza Chimaev versus question mark, question mark. Jed went with Paulo Costa. What is your matchmaking prediction for Hamza Chimaev? What weight class will it take place? One minute on the clock. Go. Well, it's going to be a middleweight. And I think we forget Dana White actually said at the post-fight press conference, he was looking at October and Abu Dhabi. So I don't know if Hamza's going to actually be back sooner than that. It seems like they're really trying to build up that Abu Dhabi card. And for that... Whether it's July or October, I think the, the fight that makes the most sense and the one that would help Hamza get to where he's going is the fight with Robert Whitaker. Robert Whitaker is clearly the, the other best middleweight not named Israel Adesanya or Alex Pereira. Uh, and he is kind of, again, much like Barab, a bit in no man's land because he's already lost to Adesanya twice. But that would put him in a big fight against Hamzad. That is a co-main event on a pay-per-view. That is a huge fight. And it would prove whether or not Hamzad is really the real deal at middleweight. It doesn't have the same rivalry stakes as the Apollo Costa fight, but you're also not risking one of your biggest stars against kind of a problematic superstar in Apollo Costa. So I think Robert Whitaker is the fight and it will declare one of them as the number one contender in the division at middleweight. There you go. Man, Hamza versus Robert Whitaker scratches me right where I itch. That's a fascinating fight. But it's not up to me. It's not up to me to decide here. Both those fights are intriguing and fascinating in their own ways. Is it the build that you want? Is it the actual in-cage product that, that stimulates you? Lots to break down here. So cast your votes right now. Casey will tally them all up and then he will announce the winner in a matter of seconds uh tomorrow programming note 10 a.m eastern we'll be on the twitter spaces for heck of a morning 3 p.m eastern tomorrow preview show for ufc san antonio we'll get a little more in depth in the marlon vera versus Corey sanhagen main event which is absolutely tremendous saturday 3 30 p.m eastern we'll have a people's pre-fight show so we'll answer all of your questions we'll have post-fight show after ufc san antonio all that fun stuff and then ak and i'll be back on sunday uh, for an audio version of on to the next one. Lots to be excited about uh, as we, and then it's a rare week off for the UFC. And then we, we're moving on to Miami, Florida for UFC 287. For are you just Pereira forgetting? Are you, too. are you just forgetting about Masvidal boxing for, come on now, game bread boxing for are you forgetting it's about for Jose UFC. Aldo and Jerry? I know, but come on now. That's a big event. Listen. Look at all the tickets they've sold. Listen, you don't think I'm, I you don't think my, my fingers on the pulse that and 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 PFL and the return of the PFL? I mean, forget the and, UFC. And the UFC the, had a card. They're number and, three, baby. Isn't that also one of the final most four stacked, weekend? And one of the most stacked Bellator cards ever with Marcelo Golm headlining. So I mean, come on now, you can't get much bigger. Daniel to be James, fair, Marcelo to Gold, be fair at that fight. to be fair at that Bellator card, that main event is Garbo, but the rest <laughs> of the card's actually pretty good. <laughs> The rest of the cards again. The rest of the cards the actually solid. It's a bad main event, though. I, I Bryce Merritt is fighting on the undercard. I like him a lot. Uh, there's actually a pretty good undercard, but man, that's like one of those. That's that's the opposite 
of UFC San Antonio. There's like one fight on UFC San Antonio, and Bellator is the opposite. No one cares about the main event, but the undercard is actually pretty good. It's yeah, it's very solid, very solid. Casey, how are we doing with the votes? Is this uh, is this a runaway? Is is the verdict in? Are we still compiling votes? Is it very close? Where are we at? I think we have a winner. Okay. We have a winner. All right. Get your votes in. I'm ending the poll in just a few seconds. Come on, I think guys. we have a winner. Get your votes in. Well, I want the, the last second. You never know. You never know. I might get a big rush. All right. All right. <clears throat> your winner today with 69% of the votes is... Holy shit. Nice, by the way. <laughs> Guys. Jed Mishu. Jed gets it done. Wow. It's because I went on, first. He's been on one the last couple weeks. Yeah. It's because I went first because Paulo Costa is obviously the right answer. Damon was in a well, box where he then couldn't say it the same. He's like, well, Paulo well, Costa just makes mean, too much sense. I it love is the a bigger fight. fight I could I could be honest about that. It is yeah. the bigger fight. It is. Yeah, it's the fight that's built up that makes sense. Also, like Hamzat might just lose to Whitaker, and if Whitaker that's beats true. Hamzat and Izzy does win the the four match or whatever, like it's just middleweight has a real potential to be a cluster very soon. So. Yes, of course, because there's a there's a title fight coming up for the middleweightiest middleweight title between Brendan Allen and Jack Hermanson. Big one. Big one in June. That's All the weird. gold. We were talking about it off air. That's very middleweighty. 100%. Jed, uh, you get the victory. You get 30 seconds. You get to do a, a victory lap. You don't get to do the Bob Barker and say, have your pets spayed and neutered, but you can still say stuff. By the way, I just saw a report <laughs> as we were recording. Uh, potentially a meeting between the Fight Circus folk and the Ryzen folk. How about that? A little collab? Mm. That's a dream collab. They're- they're doing things in the circus. Uh, two weeks, guys. Not this weekend, next weekend. The same weekend as the Masvidal boxing. But I want to use this time to not walk back anything I said, stand by everything I said. I do think that we didn't give Vera Santagen as much props. This is as good of a fight as you can possibly make at Bantamweight. The rest of that card, you know, we talked about it. That main event is worth the price of admission. So I say this to you all the time. This is a weekend where you can absolutely come to MMAfighting.com, great website. You can spend the time with your family, do something else. But I would highly recommend just keep the phone on you, download the ESPN app, ESPN Plus, and then I don't know what time the main event's going to roll out, but when it does, that's when you open up the phone. The main event is must-see television for everything else. You come to MMAfighting.com, great website. We'll get you all the best highlights, all the recaps, everything you need. That's my two cents. It's been a pleasure as always. And that two cents is worth a couple of hundo right there. Damon, any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, I'm with Jed. Uh, 9.30, I think, is around when it should start. Watch San Hagen Vera. That's 100% worth your time. Uh, not much else on there, so enjoy your weekend. There you go. That's it. Hit the music, Casey. We are done. Appreciate y'all watching the program, watching all of the stuff, and... That's it for BTL. Back next week to recap UFC San Antonio, get you ready for Bellator, PFL, Gamebred Boxing, and so much more. 
So until then, everybody, for Jed Bashu, Damon Martin, EKC on the ones and twos, the iconic voice of Esther Lynn, perhaps will take you home. I am Mike Hack. Back next week on Between the Links. Good night, everybody. Love y'all. This has been Between the Links, an MMA fighting production on the Vox Media Network. <laughs> You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. From data privacy to the future of TV, retail media, and beyond, the world of digital marketing is constantly in flux. So how can you keep up? Well, The Current Report is there for you. Each week, marketing leaders on the cutting edge give you the latest insight. So if it's creating a buzz, they'll be talking about it. Subscribe to The Current Report wherever you get your podcasts.